co-host Caleb Jenks, uh, who is down in East Texas. Texas. Yeah, well, I wanted to be more specific. Central Texas. Texas. Saying you're in Texas is like saying uh, live from somewhere in Asia. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So uh, tonight's topic <coughs> is what's the difference between the local church and the universal invisible church? Uh, Caleb has been making fun of me for months because he thinks this topic is silly and we're not going to have anything to talk about. And clearly, I'm the one that brought it up. So Caleb is going to have to ask a bunch of questions to get me talking. And hopefully we can have some questions and comments from the listeners. So if you are listening, please say hello in the comment section. We see that within a few seconds of when you post something. And if you have any questions, be sure to ask. We will try to get to your questions as quickly as we can. Also, a reminder, our next event is one week from today on uh, April 10th, and that is why are there so many religions? So we're going to be getting into that in one week from today. So uh, with that, Caleb, uh, how was your week? It's been busy. It's, cr it's crazy how uh, everybody else slows down and it seems like it's go time. Um, definitely haven't had any shortage of things to do around here. We had our our local county did some restrictions on churches gathering and great. Oh, st yeah. The great state of Texas here. We had a great Greg Abbott did a new uh whatever they call it, executive order that came out yesterday or today that now overrules anything that local towns or counties do. It was some county judge here that apparently thought that he was all this and 10 more things. And he signed this executive order saying that everybody had to limit, including church gatherings, which really goes against first amendment rights. So anyway, that was interesting. Mm -hmm. So now we are about to, ready to fire the church back up. We've been doing home church the last couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. So this Sunday we're meeting at church again. Really? Yeah. Now, I heard, I don't know if it was the state of New York or just the city of New York. I don't remember if it was governor or mayor that said that churches are going to be closed down. And if you go, we're going to start throwing you in jail. Yeah. Which I thought, I mean, wow, that's great. Just, you know, leaps and bounds, you know, come Lord Jesus, come. Yeah. Well, but, the governor had explicitly said here in Texas that, that churches were, were allowed to continue to meet just, you know, Set seating arrangements such that it keeps you separate or whatnot, and then this mm -hmm. this local this local judge decided to sign a countywide ban on churches gathering. So of course we'll have to figure out the seating arrangements. We meet in an old fire station, or I'm not sure what it was, electric company building. So there's lots of classrooms and separate spaces to meet. So that, that's exciting. Mm -hmm. You guys meeting for church right now? So we're doing church online. Uh, I am actually going there on Sundays and setting up the camera and the uh, the AV equipment because I didn't have a girlfriend in high school. And we are uh, doing the service live so that everybody, you know, can watch from their home. So there's, I don't know, I want to say maybe there was four or five of us, you know, in a room that sits like 150. So I think we were pretty safe as far as uh, social distance, distancing works. Right. Um, but that's the way we've been doing it so far. So, yep, it's uh, it's different, you know, but at the same time, it was only this last Sunday where uh, I was at home on the couch, you know, watching my pastor on the TV, which was different. 
you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm usually just on my phone anyhow, you know, on Facebook or playing video games while he's preaching. So staring at a screen wasn't odd, you know, but not being around um, other people and having to fake a smile, that was weird. Right. You know, for several hours on a Sunday. <clears throat> so okay. it's kind of interesting, this topic coming up tonight when it is the local churches have been disrupted a little bit. Yeah. Okay. So do you want to ask me questions or should I ask you questions or how do we want to jump into this thing? Well, yeah. How would you say, what would you say defines the uh, local Let's church definition? It. Okay. So, <clears throat> so this is the way that, that I see it. And I don't think it's very hard to get this idea from the Bible that there are clearly two different definitions of the word church. And don't get me wrong, the same people make up both, but it's kind of like a square and a rectangle, okay? Everyone that's in a local church is also in the universal invisible church, but not everyone in the universal invisible church is in your local church. So the idea is in a local church, we read about it in several places of the Bible where um, it's explained that there are certain offices, <coughs> The office of uh, pastor and elders and deacons. These things are explained. They're defined. Uh, there are rules and regulations concerning church. Uh, there is uh, also talk about uh, church uh, discipline. See, if you there is church membership. See, there is no membership of the universal invisible church. If you are saved, then you are part of what is sometimes referred to as the body of Christ, which is made up of every saved person on earth. But as far as the local church, it's, it's different. Your pastor is not my pastor, but we both might have a pastor at our church, and that is a position, and there are responsibilities and privileges in that position. As a member membership is something between a local church and the people that go to that church. And again, there are responsibilities and there are privileges uh, with being a member of a local church. So the that's what I'm talking about when I say the universal invisible church, it is made up of every saved person on earth. Everyone that is going to go to heaven when they die, congratulations, you're all part of the universal invisible church. And Jesus talked about that. Uh, we read about that in the book of Ephesians when it says that Jesus died for the church. Okay, He wasn't talking about one church. He wasn't talking about the church in Jerusalem or the church in Rome or the church in you know, Corinth or Ephesus or wherever. He was talking about uh, the entire body. But what we find is that everybody can't meet together. Everybody's not going to know one another. Everybody, you can't get the support you need from the universal invisible church. And that's why there is a local church. And <clears throat> if I can explain the reason for this topic, it really comes down to one idea. And that is People think that the universal invisible church is all they need to be a strong Christian, and that is a lie. That is where the idea came from that, oh, I have church in the mountains, and oh, I have church, you know, I can have church wherever I want. Well, you can't. That's not how it works. That is in no way 
what the Bible says. You can meet with other Christians. Sure, you can talk to God wherever you want. Those things are all fine. But stop calling it church. That's not what it is. Uh, church has ordinances. We read about baptism and the Lord's Supper. Those are things that happen in a local church. Okay, If you want to break bread with someone, fine. Do that wherever you want. But again, um, I think the problem is, uh, and again, I'm talking about, you know, mainstream, you know, lame, apathetic American Christianity, where they use the universal invisible church as an excuse to uh, not have to come together and to not be under any authority. I think that's a big part of it. And I think we are supporting and encouraging weak Christians to remain weak because they are not they are not part of a local body. Uh, they think that wherever they go and whatever they do, they can call it church, and therefore, you know, they can check that box because they just redefined a word. So that's really the reason I wanted to bring this up is because a lot of people don't like hearing the idea that a church is a group of people. There are positions. There, are, believe it or not, there are rules. Uh, there are also benefits uh, of being part of a local church. So, Caleb, I see you've not been paying attention. You've only been on your keyboard the whole time, but I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you to weigh in. What do you What do you think? Am I crazy, or am what I does what I say seem to you know show up in the Bible anywhere? Yeah, I. So that's. I'm actually surprised coming from you that you take the position you do on on that. Um, wasn't expecting it, but it's, I think that it's very, it is very important that people do realize that you can't take that as an easy way out just because you are a Christian doesn't mean that you, that you shouldn't be breaking bread and gathering together. Those are the, uh, I should have had the reference ready, but it says not to forsake the gathering together and breaking bread. I am a little curious as far as some of those ordinances that are church uh, type things like say baptism, communion, those, those types of things if someone who does a home a home fellowship or meets in the mountains or whatever obviously it's not the church building that counts and Correct. um and and let me just say that is the big thing nobody you never heard me say the word building right ever okay so just so that's clear because i know we're going to have a thousand comments about churches and a building no one said it was okay get over yourself no one said it was Okay. Right. Go ahead. But it, obviously the, the organize, organization becomes sort of this animal of itself, the local church, where you have mm -hmm. the, the church leadership, you have the church authority, you have the opportunity then to be submitted one to another. And it seems to me that, so I was a part of the, well, the church that we're a part of, we went five years without a pastor here. We now mm -hmm. have a pastor, but we don't have much else in the way of, well, we have somebody that's kind of takes care of the finances, different people that, that take care of different parts, but we don't really have a lot of the other biblical offices that are laid out in the Bible. And of course, it has been a, a very enjoyable experience working with one another, but there, there has definitely still been plenty of submitting one, one to another. And the church authority, the, the elder board, so to speak, is all the, you know, the members sit around a table and we make a decision together. So it's kind of interesting being a part of something like that. And then coming from that or more, more organized churches where things have been up and running for years, I tend to personally lean more toward the less organization that you have, the more room that it has, that it leaves for God to lead out rather than man to get in the way. 
but I also have seen the the other extreme where somebody that has zero accountability, they don't have a church or anybody to submit to, they can become very dangerous Christians where all of a sudden, anytime that anybody gets in their way or steps on their toes, they throw a fit and, you know, it's a, it's a problem. And I've seen quite a few home church or no church, whatever you want to call, I've seen the danger of that. Um, and so I have that concern, but I, I guess I'm, my curiosity is where, so do you, I've never asked you this question. Do you find biblical, yeah, do you find church membership to be a biblical thing or, or do you think? Absolutely. Think, okay. So hundred, hundred percent. All right. I don't know if you're prepared for that, but I would love to, I would definitely love to um, get your thoughts on that because that's a big deal, a big deal. Because once, once you implement church membership, it simplifies a lot mm-hmm. of things for the church because all of a sudden you don't have somebody that's that you don't know or you don't trust that, you know, whatever, um, coming in and steering the church in a different direction. It kind of gives mm-hmm. a little bit of time for proving there's some, mm-hmm. uh, anyways, but there are other, other aspects of that that allow you to, um, easily break some parts of scripture of setting yourself up in a special, special place in the church, having a vote when somebody else is not technically a member, doesn't have a vote, that type of a thing. So mm-hmm. I'm just curious where I've never seen anything, where it's spelled out membership explicitly in the Bible, it seems like it's inferred where it's, where it talks about casting people out or, or having mm-hmm. them go out. They were never one of us, those types of things. So anyways, your thoughts. So to answer your question right out of the gate, it is not spelled out as explicitly as the position and role of a pastor, elder, or deacon, which are talked about to some length and in detail. Membership is absolutely <clears throat> implied. Uh, I would say um, it's implicit through much of the Bible. So I always, uh, one thing I can tell you is that there is a custom amongst uh, several types of Baptist churches where when you would join a church, you would join a church in one of a handful of ways. You would join a church oftentimes by letter. Now, keep in mind, there are fewer and fewer and fewer churches that take church membership seriously. It's, it's down to a point where you almost never experience it. But the idea behind it, and, and you find it in the Bible where uh, Paul gave letters to different people saying that they were in good standing where they came from and that the church they were going to should accept them. So that was that was written. Now, we could argue about the reason for that. Okay, but one of the ideas is uh, the the very unpopular idea of authority and that nobody wants to be put or nobody wants to put themselves voluntarily under any form of authority. But the idea behind a church is it's a level of accountability. See, in the local church, we can. Uh, we can have people who are going through hard times and we can try to help them. We can come together and support them. And I'm not just talking about financially. I'm talking about when they're going through a hard time with sin, when they're going through difficult times in their life where they are far from God, they don't feel the closeness to God. And we can rally around them and we can try to help them. But you also find that sometimes there are people that are, far removed from God. They're at a point where they're just, they're apathetic about it. They don't want much to do with it. And then they get to a place where they end up being damaging to all the other people 
in the church. And then instructions are given in several places where uh, how to handle that individual. Now, the goal every single time is to try to bring that person back into the fold, help them get close to God, help their relation to get, relationship to get strong. But there are many ways of dealing with that. But that only works when there is a local church with a membership that can come together and corporately make decisions to try to help this brother or sister out. So, you know, that's that's kind of the idea uh, behind membership. The other thing that comes up is uh, the uh, <coughs> the benefits of church membership, which is in a church, we are ordered, commanded by God to take care of certain people. And there are also several verses with a great deal of detail explaining how do we take care of widows? How do we take care of orphans? How do we take care of the poor? What are we supposed to do for them? And I always ask people the same question. I say, well, are, are, am I required to help every widow on earth? Well, I, I think that's ridiculous. If, if someone says, yes, I don't see a way to do it. So I am required to help the widows and the orphans and the, and the poor and, the, and people. In, to, I am to start with the people in my local church. And that comes down to, again, that church membership. These are the people that I'm supposed to be uh, trying to uh, go out of my way and help. Not saying not to help anyone else, but I'm saying I am obligated under a command scripturally uh, to help out uh, certain individuals to the point where God, I think, is going to look at me and say, hey, these people are the same as your brother, your sister, your mother, your father. What are you doing here? Uh, so I, I see those things surrounded in uh, church membership. Tell me tell me what you're thinking. What's your next question? What do you, what do you see wrong with that? No, I, I don't disagree. Um... I have, so we are, this is actually the first time I've been a member of a church. I, of course, I grew up doing home church, no church. Uh, from time to time, it was no church. Sometimes it was home church. And um, while I've seen the, while I've seen the, the danger and while I was very apprehensive about just falling into the denominational divides and just saying, all right, I'm going to sign up uh, for one denomination and this is where I'm going to go. And I was concerned about that. It was just falling in, falling in line and just kind of being a sheep following the, the shepherd, so to speak, and not mm -hmm. really learning the Bible for myself. Um, I also saw the, the risk of not having the accountability, especially as a, as a head of, of a home, not having the accountability of a church. And we are, so my wife and I are members of, of our church now. We have been for five years. And I do count it as an honor and a privilege to be able to have that membership. Like you said, there are a lot of benefits that come to ha having that membership um, where you are, where you do feel like that, that there's people that have your back. We've never, um, we've never really fallen on really bad, hard times or had any catastrophe in our, in our life during this time. But there's been other members of the church that have, you know, broken arms or, or medical emergencies, that type of thing. And the, and the church has pitched in financially to help out with the, those types of things. Um, and then many other times where we had, you know, we had a, a birth and the church comes together and they make meals for two or three weeks. We had meals that were cooked by people in the church. Um, some of those benefits that, that you see kind of more from an economic standpoint or from the, the here and the now standpoint, I think are really small benefits compared to the long-term benefits that you see what happens to people that choose not to 
interact with other believers and their families fall apart, their lives fall apart, and you see them go down this this road that, that oftentimes people go through. And not that not the church fixes that for everyone. It's obviously a choice. But I do definitely see the benefit of it. And I have to say that for, my, for myself, I have really, it's probably one of the most valuable things that, I, that, that I've experienced is our local church here. In my wife and I, and our our marriage, our our family, it's been it it has probably saved our marriage, saved our family. Um, God has used the church in that kind of a way, and so I I definitely really really appreciate it. But I have considered withdrawing my membership, not because I would want to interact any less or any different, but because I have been concerned about whether or not church membership was a necessary thing or or was a biblical thing. And I've talked run this by our church at times and said, I've considered withdrawing it. So that's why I was like kind of surprised to hear you say that you believe that church membership is very much biblical. I need to study up more on it. Um, but as far as, as far as being able to take communion or baptize people, the early, the really early church, there wasn't, they weren't very organized yet. And I, as they got more organized, obviously it became, became more like church membership, I guess. But I mean, it was, you had Philip and the eunuch and he's like, well, here's water. What keeps me from baptizing you? And so he goes and they get out and he baptizes them. So, I mean, I think that there's definitely a place for a less, less organized. And sometimes I wonder if we become so organized that the majority of the contribution that comes into the churches goes to building these magnificent buildings. And we could be reaching the community with that, with those funds, with those efforts, like they were in the early church, they gave where they saw need. And so anyways, uh, uh, the book of James chapter one, if you ever just read one book of the Bible, read James, in my opinion. It's one of the clearest, most concise versions of, of really being able to get it kind of in a, I wrote, I hand wrote the whole book of James and it took me, I don't know, like four hours. And it, anyways, I'm just going to read verse 27 out of chapter one. It says, pure religion and undefiled before God and the father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So it's listing along with separation from the world and holiness, it's listing being able to interact with local people like like what you were saying here as far as the um, the fatherless and widows, orphans, that um, that is definitely an, an issue that we have local around us and we can't we can't go and solve the, the, all the world's problems, but we can reach out to our community. So I think that is very important to realize that there's churches down the street that do me very little good. I mean, it's encouraging to see, oh, there's this church there, but I don't know anybody there. I don't know what they're doing. You know, of course, they're another local church. And I, I do wish sometimes that the denominational division that's among churches would, wouldn't prevent us from being able to be more effective in reaching a local community, banding together and working. But I do like the idea of small local churches, not, not having to be a huge mega church, but being able to be a small local church where you actually have relationships and, and discipleship with with a small enough group of people that you get to know each other as opposed to 10,000 people or whatever in a church. But so we've talked, talked a little bit about the, the local church. So I guess that, that my next question for you is the idea of the universal invisible church. You, you brought that out, which is kind of an interesting thing. Um, I guess it is sort of invisible. What, um, why, why do you say invisible? I guess. Well, <clears throat> because there are no positions there is no membership. There is no structure. Uh, and keep in mind when I say structure, I mean um, uh, um, not a physical structure, you know, that you meet in, but there's no structure to the church as far as uh, who does what, who has what responsibilities. So the, the universal invisible church is simply uh, every saved person that exists 
you know, and the, okay, so here's the, here's the problem. Church discipline only works on a local church level. Now, the good news for all of you that don't like the idea of church discipline is the odds are you're never going to experience it because no church has the guts to actually do what the Bible says for its own benefit. So you're never going to have to see it. Okay, but when you see it happen and when you see it work, your eyes are open. You're like, wow, I get it. That's amazing. Lo and behold, God was right again. But why is it that there are whole chapters dedicated in the Bible to how this is supposed to work in local churches and you never see it take place? In the Bible, we just ignore all the portions of the Bible and let the sinners do whatever they want. And that's not good for them. We don't do that with our own children. But in the church, we think, ah, whatever. It's all going to be fine. Nothing matters. You know, God's rules and what God says doesn't matter at all. And it's terrible. It's hurting the local churches. It's hurting the individual Christians that are dealing with the sin because no one is coming to their aid. And many of them, you would find out, actually are craving some form of structure and discipline to help them get their life back in order. But everyone's too scared to do it. Those things don't happen in the universal invisible church. They only happen at the local church level, and they only happen in churches where there is a membership. Now, I'm going to give you an idea, and this might be a crazy one. And keep in mind, this worked, This was a lot easier when you go back to the first uh, generation church, Okay, the early church period, because there's basically one church in every city. So if you didn't fix your problem and get along with everyone, they would kick you out. And it's like, all right, now where do I go? It's not like today where there's a church on every corner. There is one church in every city. So unless you want to travel hundreds of miles to go to church somewhere else, if you were in the church of Ephesus and you were just, you know, a monster and a jerk and, you know, doing all kinds of horrible sin that was ruining the church, they would try, they would come to you, they would talk to you, they'd go through the process. And sooner or later, they'd be like, look, bud, you got to leave. Okay. We, you know, we, we love you and we want you to be back with God, but until you get this right, you're hurting other people and we just can't have it. It's not okay. This has to be a place that's safe for people to come, you know, and worship corporately with God. That doesn't exist in the universal invisible church. And I understand why people like that and they don't like the idea of a local church and nobody likes the idea of church discipline, but I don't know what to tell you. It's all over the Bible. So right. that's, that's one of the issues, you know, that I really see with the uh, universal invisible church that that's a problem. So <laughs> we, we used to meet in a funeral home building. And in the back of the funeral home building, it's actually just right next to our current building now. But in the back of the funeral home building was the old room and it still has the uh, sign on the door saying body preparation room or whatever. And they had some lamps and like a table set up in there. There's an old casket left in there. Well, yeah, anyway, it looks like a casket. So we used to joke about that that's where we church, people that fall under the most severe church discipline. That's where they go is the body preparation room. So it's fortunately, that's really, it's an interesting thing because 
uh, fortunately, we haven't really run into problems with our church so far. And I kind of dread the day that we run into problems where somebody is sleeping around with his neighbor or whatever. And we have to deal with this issue of church discipline. And uh, so I agree that it's an important issue, but I have also seen the liability of churches that really, really botch it badly. Oh, and, and most do. Most have no idea how to do it. It's unbelievable how poorly they all handle it. Yeah, so I, I've seen a lot. I've heard from a lot of Christians that have been very, very hurt by their mm-hmm. experience when they when they fell into trouble, trouble times when they really needed to be loved on the most and be supported, and the church cut them off, and then they mm-hmm. come through and they're bitter against the church. So here's, sure. I, I'll just read this uh, to you and see what your thoughts are on this because. Of course, we didn't get on here to talk about church discipline, but I have to mm-hmm. I have to get your thoughts on it since we're on to the subject. Matthew um, 13, verse 24, this is right after the parable of the sower. Jesus went on, he said, another, another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then, he, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came, came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath, hath it tares? And he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together the fruit first the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. And so um, the reapers in other, other versions, it talks about the, them as being angels. Um, mm-hmm. So apparently there's some room to have grace even within the church and to not be always nitpicking people's lives and trying to figure out how to go- uh, apply the gospel to their life and tell them how to live. And if they're not Absolutely. quite right, then we cast them out. But because when you do, ca- I've seen quite a few times where somebody was, expelled from a church or however they different churches call it different things, but expelled from Mm -hmm. a church and then, and maybe even for legitimate concerns, but could have maybe been handled more graciously. And when they got kicked out of the church with them, followed their family or their relatives or their friends or whatever, that were also rooted out with the tear, you know, the wheat gets rooted out with the tears. So I guess that's a dangerous thing that if you don't do it right, and I see, I see very few applications in scripture where it's talking about expelling somebody usually is when they're living in pretty severe unrepentant sin. I mm-hmm. mean, when they're, and, and, not, and no shame about it, but anyway, what's, what's your thought? Do you think it should be reserved for s- specific scenarios? Okay. So, and, and I've had this discussion with several, several friends of mine who are pastors because it, it's often brought up and I, and I find that a lot of people have no idea what to do. Okay. So here is uh, rule number one. Okay. As far as church discipline goes, it is always the absolute last resort when you have given so much grace and long suffering that people start to look at you and think, man, when's someone going to do something about this? Okay. It is the problem with so many churches is that they, you know, they go right to the extreme example. Okay. It is supposed, we are commanded to be long suffering. We're supposed to try to work with people and help people and, you know, in any way we can. Okay. Number two, 
everybody always says that the church did it wrong and people got hurt and it was a mess. Okay, let me bring something up that no one wants to talk about. It was the sin that was the mess. That was the mess. That's what started the mess. That was the problem. That's what was hurting other people. It was the sin. We can't say that the church that tried to follow the word of God and didn't do it perfectly is the culprit. It's the sinner. Right. For crying out loud. I don't understand how everyone is able to write that off and say there's no problem there. And the problem always falls on the group of people who are trying to do what God said. Okay, number three, when we read through, so first of all, I got to say that this verse, I do not believe has to do with church discipline. I believe that has to do with the idea of the end times and the idea of uh, the saved and the lost and they're together and you find false prophets and teachers, you find wolves in sheep's clothing, you find all this stuff and they say, nope, wheat is going to grow up with the tares. It's all going to get sorted out on one day. And that's going to be the day that we harvest. And I believe that is the last day when the great white throne of judgment is set up in Revelation. I think it's chapter 21, but don't quote me on that. <clears throat> so I don't one quick think... thought on that. When he yeah, says yeah, that, the serv- that the servant said unto, unto their master, Lord, should we go and sort them out? And he said, no, wait till the end of times. So I do think mm-hmm. he's he's referring to what you're saying. He's referring to waiting to the end of the times. But it seems like he's yeah. indicating that there's going to be Christians that are like, hey, God, shouldn't we sort this mess out? There's some of these people that don't look like they're quite the right, the real deal. So sure. to me, that's that's what I would look at is they're probably they could be church leaders that are trying to sort out problems and make their church look perfect. And in the meantime, they're rooting up the wheat with the tares. That's that's my best guess on it. I, I could be wrong. I absolutely see how, you know, that could that could overlap. And that totally makes sense that it could be the Christians saying, hey, shouldn't this get sorted out here? This seems to be, you know, a mess and we don't need the tares. We need the wheat. We wanted okay. heaven on earth. And this is little less than what we were expecting here because. <laughs> yeah. OK, so let me give you the third point. And this has to do with and we find this also in Matthew and I didn't look it up. I think it's Matthew 18. I'm not even going to turn there. Okay. And this this has to do with confronting another Christian. Okay. And how do we do this? Again, we're taking a scenario that can only work out poorly. But we're hoping that eventually the the bad situation is going to bring that person back around to God. That's the goal. That's the hope. Okay, the person that is to confront the one in sin that is destructive in their life and the lives of others, they are only supposed to be the one to do it if the thought of doing that, if the thought of the confrontation is very, very distasteful to them. If they do not want to do it, then that is the person you go to. If you find a Christian that says, oh, yeah, I want to confront this guy. Nope, you're not the one. If you can find any pleasure or satisfaction whatsoever in confronting this person or this group or these this individual or this couple or this family or whatever, you are not the one to do it. 
It is only to be done by the one that loves them so greatly that they find it distasteful to have a confrontation for fear of the bad thing that's going to happen. That's the only time it's supposed to take place. To give an example, what was going on in the book of First and Second Corinthians that Paul says, uh, all right, we got to deal with this. It's gone on far enough, right? We're right. talking about pretty bad sexual immorality. Point of incest. It was yeah, exactly. horrible. And Paul's like, sorry, guys, uh, we got to deal with this. And I would imagine that everybody today, under the power of our voices on this podcast that is still not listed on Apple or Google, would agree that something should be done about incest in the church. I don't think that's a stretch. Yeah. Okay. Does that sure. help? Oh yeah. So first Corinthians five, this is one that a lot of people like to go to. And I've, I've seen churches use this when they had a minor infraction or a minor disagreement and use the same, pull out the same big stick that would have been used mm -hmm. here. So um, here, first uh, Corinthians five, it says it is, it is reported commonly that there's fornication among you and such fornication as not, as is not so much as named among the Gentiles. So this is apparently worse than Worse than the, the Worse ungodly nations. Than what the pagan nations were doing. Yeah, that one should have his father's <laughs> wife. So apparently, somebody was sleeping with his his stepmom, and ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned um, that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. Um, so anyway, he goes on to basically state that as as they're gathered together, he wants them to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So apparently this guy was still calling him a, himself a Christian, but was walking in unrepentant sin. And he was, and, he, and they, this is what I would call the big, the big stick. I mean, it doesn't get much worse than that when it comes to church discipline to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit might be saved in the, in the day of the Lord Jesus. So that's a really interesting passage there. And it seems like it was, this was kind of the last attempt. It's like, this has gotten so far out of hand. We've got to do something. But I've seen this used over issues of disagreeing on church doctrine, church membership guidelines, that type of thing. That somebody has a minor disagreement, they're not living in sin, but the, the they they would be treated this way because they don't they don't feel comfortable continuing on in fellowship the way that it's required by a, a church or whatever. So, anyways, that is where I would say the church discipline can go really really bad. Is if you take a verse like this out of context, this was. He was literally living in some pretty, pretty deep sin that anybody, like you said, anybody would look and, at that and say. And it was public knowledge. Right. Okay. This wasn't hidden. This wasn't in the closet. This was known about. It was public somehow. And I mean, it, you know, we're, we're, re and what you mentioned, Caleb, unfortunately, is the same reason anybody, any non believer doesn't like Christianity. They saw the very worst example, and they apply that as the standard to everybody. And I think people have seen church discipline done poorly, and they apply that as the standard to any church discipline ever, as if God doesn't know what he's talking about. And when he wrote down how to do it, you know, there's just no way to succeed. There's no way to do right. it right. It's, it's only going to be a train wreck. You know, it's always going to be difficult. It's always going to be awkward. It's always going to be unpleasant. Okay, but that, I mean, guess what? That's the Christian life. I don't, I don't want to tell you. 
Okay, uh, are we totally off topic on local church versus yep, yep, universal yeah. <laughs> church discipline? Okay, who are we voting out? <laughs> so one last question since you brought it up. So did you? is there any scriptures that you find that back up the requirement that the person that would confront somebody, um, I do see church leaders should be meek and mm -hmm. patient and add some of those virtues, but... I, I'm just wondering, is there a biblical reason or is that just something that you just came up with on the fly? <laughs> no, no, here it is. Um, okay. It is found in Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to need a minute to find it because I wasn't ready for it. Okay. Um, so can I, can I look for yeah, that? We check yeah, that you later can look rather for it. Than me just, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You can, you can pop it up later. Um, so the the idea the idea of church discipline is kind of the the bad side. That's the that's the con to church membership to the local church Correct. membership. That's, that's the ugly that's, side. Yeah. So we we had mentioned some of the benefits, and some of those benefits are really not possible with without the local church. One of the things that is a little bit confusing as far as the universal church is a lot of church denominations actually have kind of a worldwide association of churches within their denomination. Like I think of say the Catholic church would be the first one that comes to my mind because they're probably the most well-organized in that kind of a way. Mormon church, different Jehovah's witnesses, big, big churches like that, where they're going to have a universal, so, so to speak, a universal church. And some of those would also mm -hmm. be churches that, that would claim to be the only church, um, mm -hmm. which is, I think we've already discussed that. That's a, yeah, a, that's a bad topic. telltale. Yeah, that's a bad tell telltale sign that you might not be actually in the right church. But um, some of these churches that are really small community churches that are not, maybe they're not combined with anybody else outside of that. It does seem like it, it kind of sort sort of begs the question of of the fact of what do you, how do you make your church the most effective, and is it more effective to be associated with other local churches to where you can come together? Should that be other local churches that you like or that are branded like you in other towns, or should that be more, more churches with, to me, I, I really think that the local church is the most effective when we network together with other local churches and we can reach our community together, whether we all meet in the same building or not. Of course, that's more complicated. It's easier just to find somebody you agree with that lives in another town and work with them, but it's not as effective. You can have a, a conference once a year where everybody gets together and you have a big shindig and everybody's excited but you can't really do life together as a community. And so I, I see that we live in a small town with, I don't know, probably 60 churches here, most of which have five or 10 people that go to the church, very small churches, <laughs> mostly elderly people. Um, our church is one of the biggest churches in town. Um, as far as I know, um, as far as membership goes, and we're a relatively new church. Some of the other churches here literally have five people to go to church. And so, and we're not huge. We, we, it's, we, this town is, I think, a population of 1,300. So we're never going to be a mega church. So anyways, I have to look at it. And it's like my hope is that for us to really band together as churches, as local churches to reach the community, that that would be the best way for us to be effective. And we've found some ways to do that and been able to find some common causes with some churches. But some churches are very, very apprehensive about ever reaching across the aisle and working with somebody that's not a their brand or their stripe. So I guess, have, how is that in Grand Junction? Of course, you're, the church you go to would be a Baptist church, and I'm sure there's plenty of other Baptist churches there, right? 
Yeah. So the church that I'm, <clears throat> that I go to now, <clears throat> or let me rephrase that the church that I attend, uh, because they have a really soft stance on membership. If, if there is one okay. thing I am not excited about, uh, with the church that I go to, it's that I've never even been asked or approached, uh, on the subject of membership, which drives me nuts. My, my All right, favorite so if there's saying, anybody watching from Heart of Junction <laughs> Church, you need to call Patrick as soon as we're done with this because p- membership is a big deal for him. Up. Yeah, he's waiting for you to come knock on his door. He's not going to ask. Yeah. <clears throat> my favorite saying for so many years is I'm a member of exactly two organizations, the NRA and my local church. <laughs> so as far as uh, uh, Heart of Junction and Grand Junction, Colorado, it's a Southern Baptist church. And uh, there are several other uh, churches that we are close to, you know, and they're all also uh, Southern Baptist churches. There are other groups where you'll meet with churches of uh, various denominations, you know, and spread out a little further. And then uh, there's a group that my pastor was telling me about where uh, anyone can go and you'll have everyone from, you know, atheists and their group, which isn't really a church, you know, to the Baha'i faith to, I mean, just oh, that's everything. pretty, pretty ecumenical. I, I you oh, have been in a well there, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, we had a lunch and he told me he's like at 10 different times. I wished Patrick was here to hear that guy say that. <laughs> and, and I, and he said to me, he's like, Patrick, we couldn't talk about anything important. That's what mm-hmm. it came down to. The more different you are, the less, you know, so basically what it comes down to is if you want to get together and throw horseshoes and eat hamburgers, invite whoever you want. Okay. But if you want to do anything, you know, it's easier to do it with a group that, you know, is in line with you. Cause I mean, Caleb, how many churches have, have you been to where you've talked to members, you've talked to the pastor and they don't even have a clear understanding of salvation. Right. I mean, so what on earth are we getting together with these guys for? We need to be standing outside of their church, handing out some gospel tracts and giving right. them the gospel. You but know, to so- me, that, that is also the iron that sharpens iron. I have a lot of friends mm-hmm. that are in different denominations, some of which I really disagree with some of their doctrinal stand on. But I've still learned a lot from them on you know mm-hmm. various different issues. Some of them know their Bibles really, really well, or certain parts of their Bible anyway, so they can defend their their beliefs. But anyways, I, I do think that there can be that that possibly is part of the reason that people end up off in the ditches so much is because they only associate with like-minded people that believe exactly like they do, and they it's this little echo mm-hmm. chamber rather than ever getting outside the box and hearing Patrick tell them that they need to. Yeah, <laughs> they need to join. Okay, so let me give you, if you think about a bullseye, okay? So if, when you're looking at a target and you have several rings, what you have to understand is the way it works with Christianity is the smaller the group, okay, the bigger the ring. If you're talking about you as an individual, Caleb, you can have a conversation and a pleasant one about God and spiritual matters with people that are atheists, that are agnostics, that are, you know, Lutherans, Mennonites, go down the list, whoever you want. Am I right? Right. Okay. Then what you find, though, is when it's you and your wife and your kids, 
and another family, all of a sudden, you the ring has to be a little smaller because the group is larger. And it's harder to get along with people that are more different the bigger the group is. And then when you go up to the church level, that's the hardest. The more different it is, the harder a time you have. Because you, <clears throat> as an individual, have a lot of flexibility, have the patience and the understanding. But I hate to tell you, you don't have to go home and live with those people that you hang out with and talk about God with, right? Right. But you did pick someone that you are going to go home with every night. And you guys had a bunch of kids together. So you made a decision that you have a level of intimacy with someone that gets along with you better. Okay, then the two of you had to decide, well, we got to go to church somewhere. So where are we going to go? And you start visiting churches and you find one that, what do you like? Hopefully it's not just the, you know, the coffee's good in the morning. Hopefully what you like about the church is we believe what they believe. And we feel comfortable worshiping God with them. So that's where it gets harder. But if you're talking about churches getting together to help feed the poor or help pick up trash on the highway, well, sure, get together with whoever you want. But if you're looking to get together with churches to further the gospel, it's harder than if you get together with another family to do something for God. Right. And it's, you see what I'm saying? And look at us, you and I can get together and do a podcast. I mean, we're a bad example because our families are good friends as well. And I've been to your church. <laughs> I mean, you had me preach at your church one, the one time I was there, you know, so, so that's all a little bit, you know, uh, different of a situation, but tell me what you think. Cause, cause here's what I'm going to say. Autonomous local churches. That's where it is. That's where the strength is. I don't see our strength in everyone coming together because when that happens, we have to be homogenous and we have to leave something that is important to us at the door to get along with everyone else. So where I see the strength is autonomous local churches. That's where I think it is. And I think that frustrates a lot of people because pragmatically they see the numbers, they see the dollars, they see the facilities, they see the manpower. And they think, surely we could do a lot better of a job altogether. Right. And maybe I'm wrong, but that's the way I see it. Autonomous local churches, it is our differences that bring us strength. The convictions that we have, that where we're willing to stand and say, no, this is important. This is a line I, I can't cross. This is, this is important to God. It's important to me. It, it makes me who I am. That's that's my thought. Does that help right. at all, or is that just not? Yeah, no, I think so. I think so. So one of the one of the concerns that I have with the idea of local churches, which I've had to learn to just become okay with and realize mm -hmm. it's okay that we don't all think the same, we don't all act mm -hmm. the same. And there's this definitely this urge or this desire along among a lot of Christians to to kind of long for this this picture of what it's going to be like in heaven, where we have God and everybody else is just down here. It's a level playing field. We all worship God and we're all the same and we're all, we all think the same. We're all completely like-minded and here it's not that way. And the beautiful thing about it is that, that God uses different, different men and different women that have, that have very different points of view, different opinions, and he can use us even though we don't all agree the same way. 
I, I, I have to look at it and think that when, when Jesus was talking to Peter and he, he asked him, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you're, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And he said, this has been revealed to you by the spirit of God. And upon this rock, will I build my church? And I have to look at that and wonder what did he have in mind for the church and the great commission of going, us going out into the world to, to reach the world with the gospel and the way that it's turned out where oftentimes the goal is so much focused on growth and numbers and building the church in this, the biggest, most successful monster that we can make it be, or even a successful denomination where we have thousands of churches that are under our leadership. That's where some of the problems come in, where we, where we set, set up in place. I have a friend that posted the other day. He said, Jesus said to go out to the sinners. And we said, instead, we built churches and told them to come to us. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's a really interesting thing when you see how I, I would say there's a lot of churches where I see a good 75, 80 percent of their effort and their resources is is all focused on building their little empire, building their buildings, building their their whole system that they work there. And they're not really getting outside the walls of the church to reach the community. So, of course, that's a concern that I have. Um, also, the idea that Jesus said a house divided cannot stand. He also said that that the world will know us by our loved one for another. And so, I'm, of course, I'm concerned about the denominational differences where we all sit in the walls of our, our, of our church and point fingers at, at the other churches that we disagree with on this or that. And I don't really think that it was ever supposed to be that the church was all just about everybody coming together, sitting down for 45 minutes, watching the show, you know, have the band come out, have the pastor come out, talk for 30 minutes, and then you go back home and you live your life like everyone else. If we engage where we're actually serving the community and working together, which oftentimes can be very taxing on one particular church. Right now we're running a couple of ministries that we work together with other churches to run these ministries. And we have volunteers that show up every week and help with it. And if if it was just up to our church, I mean, it's already a lot as it is for us to do it. But if we were counting on nobody else outside of our church to help with it, we wouldn't be near as effective and we would probably give up and quit because we, it would just wear us out. But for me, I'm in charge of one of these or helping to head up one of these ministries. And for me, one of the one of the, the things that, that I console myself with is knowing that there are more God sees this. There's more Christians out there in the community can help with this if we're not so stuck up that we're like, well, you can't come unless you're a member of our church. You can't come and help with this. So I, I see the effectiveness of us being able to open the doors up, work with other churches. And it actually gives us an opportunity to to show that love for one another outside the walls of our little denomination. Of course, our church isn't a, we're not a part of a denomination. It's a we're an independent church, but it definitely you still tend to gravitate toward that. You just become, everybody gets in this little echo chamber. You're one of us and everybody else is out there and they're not quite good enough. So I think that there's gotta be some of both where you have your local church, but you do realize you are just one, you're just one piece of the puzzle. Um, Ephesians uh, chapter four, verse five and six says, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. And so as, as Christians, we need to realize just because we don't agree on every issue, we can still be effective when we find common cause to serve together. And yeah, maybe meeting together for church or discussing theology would get a little messy if we disagree on something, but that's not really what we're supposed to do. I don't think we're just supposed to be fed personally. We're supposed to be feeding and and reaching out to the world and going out of the church and serving that to me, that's where I see really that the, the, Christ's vision for the church would have been us going out as the salt in the world rather than all of us trying to get all the salt in one barrel. And then people come in and they're like, man, that's a little too, a little too strong. Let's get out of here. Anyway, that's just, that's my thoughts on it. But 
Okay, so <clears throat> something you brought up is something I think we've talked about before. You know, and if if you want to have the conversation about uh, churches using their resources poorly, uh, I am all in. I mean, the model that we have today in America is ridiculous as far as uh, the resources of a church being used poorly or wasted as far as what we could actually be doing for the gospel. When you think about, you know, most churches build a very large expensive building that gets used for a couple hours a week, you know, it, it's, it's absurd. Um, the, the model of the, the modern day American church, it, uh, financially speaking, is uh, actually worse than the modern American um, uh, used car lot. Uh, you know, it, but without, you know, um, getting into uh, getting into that conversation, because we only have a few more minutes and I think we could probably spend a whole hour on the, the car lot thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, but what I, I really like, you know, the, the, um, uh, the statement that your friend made as far as, you know, in the Bible, we are told to go out into the fields and bring them in, you know, and what we have done is we've set up a, a building and a sign and said, you know, come to us, you know, where we never leave the building, you know, which, which is really a shame. Jesus never uh, built a church building. He went out. Correct. Yeah. And, and I think oh, I could dare to say that his ministry was successful. Okay, Caleb, what's your last question for these last couple minutes? So we just had we just had a um, a question come in here. It's pretty long, so I don't know that I'll have time to respond to it, but maybe I'll comment on it later. Um, sure. So I guess what what would you say to somebody that's not a part of a church because mm -hmm. they are concerned about this idea of of joining a lo local church? Um, do you think it's critical? Do you think it's necessary? I, I personally think that somebody can be a born again believer and not be a part of a local church. They could do home fellowship. They could do church Absolutely. in the mountains and they can go to oh. heaven. Can I real quick? Cause you, yeah. you mentioned that and I never got to, to add, add my two cents. Um, it's very important to understand that being part of a local church does we, we said already does not require a building, but it, home fellowships are, 100% within the realm of what God intended in the beginning. As a matter of fact, the, the church buildings that you see today, uh, I don't believe came out until almost the end of uh, the first thousand years of Christianity. I don't think it was until 8900 AD that you started to see church buildings be a norm. Prior to that, the first several hundred years, all churches were in homes. They all were. It was. It had nothing to do with a local place, you know, that you gathered. It was something where you would go from house to house, and you would usually, you know, it's your turn to do it this Sunday, and then to your house, and then you know. So it was. It was very different. And I don't want anyone thinking that what we're talking about today, as far as a local church, has to do with a structure or a building, because um, it does not. So uh, forgive me, continue with your question or point. 
Oh yeah, no, that was, that I guess was the main thing is, as obviously there's benefit and, and I think it's necessary. I don't think that it's possible to go, go through life and actually be able to live out a lot of things that we see in the Bible that are commanded, like submitting yourselves one to another and to, and to be able to serve in the different positions that we're supposed to serve in the body of Christ without being a part of a local church. We can't just say, oh, I'm a born again believer and I'm a Christian and I'm not going to go to church anywhere. I'm not going to be a part mm -hmm. of something. And then, yeah, you can go to heaven. But there's a lot sure. of things that you can't do that we're supposed to do as a Christian. Mm -hmm. And you are very much very likely to get derailed without the accountability, without the, the fellowship that you'd have there. So I guess just to somebody to somebody that would be along those lines, um, I guess my recommendation is if you've not if you've not found a church that you fit in with, well, don't give up and try. Mm -hmm. And maybe you might need to realize the fact that you're looking for a church that's a perfect church. As soon as mm -hmm. you get there, it's not going to be perfect anymore. Mm -hmm. And so, because when you walk in the door, if everybody else is perfect, there's one imperfect person in there. A lot of times I, I see people say, well, churches are just full of hypocr hypocrites. And so, um, you know, I don't want to go to church. And to that person, um, a friend of mine, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to, I think it's Jay Warner Wallace that says this, a Christian apologist. He says, well, pal, come on down. There's always room for one more <laughs> hypocrite <Yep>. down here because <laughs> you're a hypocrite too. So the fact is, is when we're looking around trying to find the perfect church to find somebody that fits all of our ideological um, specifications that we put in requirements, um, I think we are the problem at that point. We're the ones that are holding ourselves back. I would say find a church, plug in, and it doesn't matter if you agree with them on on anything. The one thing I would just say is find a church that would allow you to be able to grow in your walk with God and not require you to break all of your personal <clears throat> convictions that you have with God in order to join and say, well, you have to do every, you know, you got to be this cookie cutter Christian, dress like we do, talk like we do. Find a, a church that's going to support you and trust you in your walk with God, but also give be willing to be submitted to a church that there is some give and take and you're going to be willing to to lay some things down when we joined our church we my wife and i wore wedding rings we gave that up because most of the people in our church came from a background where they didn't wear wedding rings and i was honored to do that even though i wasn't personally convicted not to wear a wedding ring so sometimes there is going to be some some compromise some give and take that you have to do in order to join a church but it's well worth the cost we should be willing to do that even if we disagree and i would just say find a church plug in and make the church into what you wish that your church would be. Don't, don't say, Oh, it's not good enough for me. Find your, find mm -hmm. a local church somewhere, <laughs> plug in and, and contribute and bless that church and help it grow into the church that you wish it was. Mm. Uh, you know, all, all, all those points are well said um, there. The <coughs> I'm reminded of a joke and I don't know if I told it on this uh, podcast yet, but there's a gentleman who was a born again Christian and he was found on a deserted Island after being there for like 10 years and uh, the, you know, the, the Navy, you know, cruiser shows up and they get off and they find this guy and they're like, oh, he's so grateful. Oh, you saved my life. And I'm so sick of eating coconuts and I can't wait to go home. And, and they see that there are these three huts on this island and they're like, oh, you know, we got to ask, are there any other people living here? And he's like, nope, just me the whole time. Pretty small island. I've searched every inch. There's no other people. And they're like, well, what's with the three huts? He's like, oh, well, that first one is where I live. That second one is where I go to church. And that third one is where I used to go to church. You know, and. I think one of the problems that a lot of people have is they leave their church too easily and they like the idea of something new, you know, but for, for like you were saying, for those people that are struggling to find a church,
search that and I, it was about a five year search before we found where we feel God wants us, this wonderful church that we're in, of which I am not a member. And <clears throat> just, just like, uh, you know, just like you said, get in there, set down some roots and start to grow. Something you have to remember is every time you, you go to church, there are two things that should happen. Okay. You should be able to get something from somebody that helps you. God will speak to you through somebody that's there. The second thing is that God will use you to speak to somebody else while you're there. And you might not always know when that happens, but it will never happen unless you show up. And that is why it is critical that we get together with believers because it is a threefold cord that is not easily broken. Iron sharpens iron. There needs to be multiple people there. Corporate worship is a part of Christianity. And just because sometimes it's difficult, sometimes it's uncomfortable, sometimes it's not the way you want it. Well, how about this? Grow up and put on the big boy pants because that's what Christianity is. God said to do it. Start doing it. Shut your mouth and your life is going to be better. Enough with this writing off whatever we don't like in the Bible. I think it's ridiculous. And you know, I, I'm sure everyone's going to appreciate the way you said it more, but no, I think you know, that I, was a great, mo that was a great <laughs> motivational speech right there. I think we should just close with that. Get in, sit down, shut up and enjoy the ride. I always love the do way that you God find such a positive you. way to do it. No, but I would say that sometimes the discontentment can come from, from our desire to make church here be our, our, our hopes and dreams of what heaven will be like. And to realize your local church isn't going to be perfect. You're not going to mm -hmm. agree with everything. It's not necessarily, it's not heaven on earth. There's going to be Correct. problems. There's going to be people you disagree with. Hey, enjoy the ride and yeah. realize someday it's going to get sorted out at the end of this. Go ahead. And, and see, you, you made the point again, you know, uh, Jesus is coming back and he is going to set things up and he's going to rule and reign and he's going to run the government. And there, you know, all of these things are going to be great, but until he gets here, there is no perfect church. There's not. And if you think there is, I would love to visit it and laugh at it because it's such an absurd saying because it's made up of sinners that are just doing their best. And some are sinners that are only serving as a bad example. And you know what? That's that's the best it's going to be. But with that being said, I would not miss going to church any Sunday that I could, you know, for the life of me. It's been such a great thing in my life. And I think pe people are missing out and they, they just don't get it. So I would say, you know, take the step by faith and believe that God knows what he's talking about and that a local church, uh, you know, will will do you some good. OK, somebody, we're about somebody, six minutes past. Go yeah, ahead, Caleb. So someone ahead. commented. <laughs> we'll run this. We'll run this clock. <laughs> no, oh, boy. Uh, so so someone said, be willing to keep your eyes on Jesus, not the people. And that's actually a very, very deep statement there. I've known so many people that were, um, at, well, this one guy that I knew that he spent a lot of time trying to figure out where, where's the best church. And, and he would talk to me and say, well, I'm trying to figure out, should we go with this church or that church? And always trying to figure out the right denominational spot to, to land and where they would fit in the best. And it was just like this endless search of trying to figure this out and now they're not going to church at all and he is borderline atheist agnostic i'm not really sure anyway so it's like anyways i i think that if you are trying to find 
the people that are going to shape your life the best. Don't look around and try to be like the people that you think are the best people. Look at Jesus. He's your role model. And we're just serving together with a bunch of imperfect people. The only difference between a saved person and an unsaved person is we're still sinners. Just some of us are going to heaven because we have the hope of Jesus, but we're still, it still can be messy. And yes, life can be better when we're walking in obedience to God and there's blessings that we have, but it doesn't mean that you're going to go to church with people and everything's going to be hunky-dory and there's never going to be a problem. So don't, I, I would say that for me, I have just enjoyed being able to sort of relax. There's this one guy in our church that he he's told us he just wants to be a pillar in the church. He's like he's kind of been on the front lines of fighting and, and trying to get things set up with our church. And and um, and in his previous church life, he, you know, he was he was really, really active and, and he's been very active in our church now. But he's he's made the statement, you know, he just wants to kind of just sit back and enjoy the ride for a while and see where God takes a church. And he wants to be a pillar in the church. There's a need for people like that, too. And of course, like I say, just because you join a church and make that church what you want it to be doesn't mean that you have to be there to change the church. And I've had to realize there's some of us that are more discontent like that. I, I want it to be heaven on earth. But I've also realized that I'm going to look back in these small years as a church. We're, we're a very small church, less than 100 people. And maybe someday we'll be a thousand. I doubt it. But in the meantime, just to learn to be content with where God plants you, realize these are, you're going to look back and these are going to be some of the golden years of your life where you're serving with people and um, making friends and connections. And just to be able to to learn to sit, to fit in, be content. And that is some of the submitting yourselves one to another, even when somebody's imperfect, still still listening to them and having that discipleship there is, is really important. And I, I value it a lot and hope that Hope that for other people that haven't experienced it, you give church a shot. I grew up out of church and was pretty, you know, raised with kind of more of an anti-church outlook because of seeing the liabilities of people getting burned through church discipline and that type of thing. And um, I have to say that there's too much risk to not give it a shot. Give it a shot. I'm I'm devoted. When my wife and I get married, I said, no matter what, we're going to be in church every Sunday. Not like I think I have to go to church to go to heaven, but in order to not turn into the monster I don't want to be, I need to go to church to have that accountability. That's good. So. Yeah. I don't like the person that I am when I'm not in church. I can tell you that I'm pretty sure my wife and kids don't like it either, but I sure don't like it. So, all right. I'm good to cut it off, man. Um, we, You're uh, sure you don't have one more last one more one liner to land it with. Let, let everybody no. hear your, your inspirational speech there. No, the only thing is uh, we, we finished last time with Psalm 91, as far as, you know, just an encouraging portion of scripture did you have any encouraging portion of scripture that you thought we could read that, you know, would, would be nice and people would like, how about I this? Not. I got one. Okay. Let me do this. Let me read Isaiah chapter 41. And I don't know where I should stop. I'm going to say, I'm going to do at least 10 through 13. And then we'll see. These are four verses. They're all promises of God and they are uh, very encouraging. Isaiah chapter 41, starting in verse 10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Behold, all they that were incensed against thee shall be ashamed and confounded. They shall be as nothing, and they that strive with thee shall perish. Thou shalt seek them and shalt not find them. Even them that contended with thee, they that war against thee shall be as nothing and as a thing of naught. For I, the Lord, thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. 
That's our encouraging Amen. word for the night during the stressful time that our country is going through. Please pray for Caleb and I. If this video was a blessing or you enjoyed it even moderately, please like it and share it and leave us a comment. Uh, we'd love to hear from you guys. And it means so much to us, uh, you know, when you tell us how much you love us and how charming and attractive we are. With that being said, we'll sign off and we'll see you next week. Have a great week. Yeah, bye.